Hi, I'm Ryan Becker, and you're listening to the Rock Hill Seventh-day Adventist Church Official Sermon Archive. You can find more information about our church at www.rockhillsdachurch.org. We hope by listening to this message that you are encouraged and challenged in your walk with Christ. We'll be in 1 Thessalonians 5, and we'll be starting in verse 12, and I want to tell you a story. You know, as a pastor, as someone who has spoken at different events, as someone, as a student who would go from church to church or school to school and speak, one of the things you realize is that when you go somewhere, when you have an interaction with students or with adults, you don't always know what the benefits of those or the results of your interactions with them are. When you drop into a place and you speak and then you leave, sometimes you can get away with saying some things that you wouldn't normally say if you have to face those same people a week later. But at the same time, you don't get to see if you even had any impact. And one of the hardest things to do as a pastor is is to work in an environment where you do not know if what you're doing is even working. If you don't see the fruits of your labor, see in a traditional job setting, if you're a nurse or if you're a lawyer, if someone gets better, you've got gratification. If If you're a teacher and someone finishes out the year successfully, You've got gratification. As a pastor, this is not always the case. And I know in every single one of those professions, it's not always the case as well. There are sometimes you just don't know. And there was one time this January where I was back at the prayer conference I always go to every January. And I was driving around on this golf cart, just making sure everyone was where they needed to be. Plus, I like driving around on a golf cart. So I just pretend to look busy as an excuse. Is this the one time of year I get to do it? And I kept driving by this girl who was a student, who was a delegate there from one of the the Southern Union schools, and she looked so familiar to me, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And I'd see her, and this was really awkward, like I'd be at lunch or or at dinner, and I'd catch eyes with her, and then all of a sudden I'd look away because I was like, "This this looks weird. I'm just staring at this person trying to figure out who they are. So one day, I'm driving by her in the street. She's walking with a friend of mine, and I'm just like, all right, I'm going to figure this out. So I hit the brakes, which is not as exciting as you would want it to be, or dramatic, in a golf cart. And I look at her, and I say, you, I know you, but I can't figure out how. Can you please remind me? And she said, yeah, you came and spoke two years ago at a Pathfinder retreat in my conference. And I said, yes, that's how I know you, but I don't remember your name. And I still don't remember her name, uh, even though she told me it again. But here's what she said, and this will stick with me, I think, for as long as I'm in ministry. She's a sophomore in high school now, She'll be a, so she's finishing up her sophomore year right now. Um, and she told me low-key, because that's how, that's how we talk, us, us millennials and, and Gen Zers, she said low-key, In other words, I don't really talk about this a lot, but it is something that you've done for me. She said, Loki, you changed my life that weekend. And I said, hold up. (laughs) Can we talk about this? Because I don't get to hear these stories a lot. And some may hear it as an ego boost that I wanted. That's fine. I just want some more fuel in the tank. Because when you know you're doing something well, it's always good to be told. So I said, I'm honored and praise God that, that, that your life was changed that weekend. Would you mind meeting with me? I'd love to hear more of your story. 
and the next morning uh, we got together after breakfast and, and she told me about how I had impacted her with my talks and, and how I had led that weekend. And it was still one of the, my favorite moments in ministry that I've ever had. And while I've only been pastoring for two years, I've been in ministry for much longer than that throughout college and high school. And that's one of my favorite stories, is her telling me her experience and how I was so privileged and blessed to be a part of it. But I would have never known if she had never said anything. Would have never known if I hadn't stopped and said, I recognize you, but I don't recognize you. <laughs> Help me out. Now she's someone that I can talk to on a regular basis and check up on and actually be a part of her life beyond that to continue to encourage her and continue to push her in the right direction. See, here we've made a lot of, we've made some structural changes. We've, I've, I've preached a little bit differently than we're used to and we've been making some intentional things to, to make community better here. But now as we shift, it's important for us to now shift in the way we treat each other. While I have said to you and while I have told you that you are one of the most welcoming committees I have ever been a part of, one of the most welcoming churches I have ever been a part of, I don't want us to settle. I don't want us to become complacent in just thinking every single church thinks they're a welcoming church. Every single church does. And yet there's always ways to improve. This morning I want to share with you from 1 Thessalonians 5, one of the best ways and most effective ways I believe that we can do that. I want to read 1 Thessalonians 5, and, and in this book Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, talking about the end times, talking about standing firm and, and, and knowing and identifying, understanding what happens when, when we die and Understanding some of the, the, the practical nature of what is happening when Jesus comes again. What's happening between Jesus resurrecting and ascending and what is happening when he returns. And at the very end, I love the, the, the heading in my Bible says, Final Instructions and Benediction. You always save the best for last. You always save the most important instruction for the last thing that you want them to hear. You say, look, if you miss everything else, this is what I want you to know. And in his final instructions, Paul gets intensely practical. And he gives the Thessalonians a lesson in how they are to behave. And so we'll read in verse 12. It says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Verse 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We're going to break that down verse by verse. We'll start back at verse 12. It says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. This is very clear. A regular tenured pastors, paid pastors, at least in the Adventist church, didn't even exist until the 1920s or so. 
In the NAD, we did not have full-paid pastors until after 1920. Before then, every pastor was a lay pastor. In Scripture, most churches simply had elders. They had those who were just a part of the community who would run their churches. And one of the hardest things about running a church, especially when you are a new convert, is I don't know much of this. So how am I supposed to lead? And so what Paul says is, look, we ask you, those who are not in charge, to respect those who labor among you. Respect those who do the work among you. And respect those who are over you, who have authority over you, who have a role that puts them in some sort of position of power and admonish you. If you've never heard the word admonish, the word admonish does not mean to punish, to discipline, or to scold. The word admonishment or admonish means to warn. To warn with a sense of urgency. So if I'm going to warn you, if I'm going to admonish you because you are caught in sin, I'm going to say, listen, if you keep going down this path, this is what will happen. I'm warning you with a sense of urgency that you need to stop and change, or this is the result that you will have. That's what it means to admonish. You see, there are some leaders who don't understand that, and they think it's just their job to call out sin, to change someone's heart. But no, it's the Holy Spirit that changes someone's heart. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts. It is simply our job to warn of the coming crisis and to warn each other when things are going south. Now, I don't want to say this, and I don't want you to think that anything I say this morning is about how you treat me. Because this isn't about me. I know I shared a story about me. It was simply an example. In fact, if there's anyone that I would hope, if you're going to treat anyone with any sort of disrespect, I hope it's me and not someone else in this church. I would rather take that than someone else. When we talk about those who labor among you, those who admonish you, we're talking about any, in this church, in our community of Rock Hill, it means those who are preparing potluck. It means those who bring food in for potluck. It means those who clean the dishes. It means those who clean up the plates. It means those who set up the tables and take them down. It means those who stand up here and are part of the platform. It means those who power wash the sidewalks. It means those who clean the windows and the doors. It means those who plant the flowers outside and cut the grass. Those who labor among you. It means those who are out giving Bible studies. It means those who are out being a part of Bible studies. Anyone doing the work of God among us. They are the people to be treated with respect, to be held with high esteem and love because of their work. And the reason this is so important, we're seeing it right now, we see it with the, the hashtag MeToo movement, you're also seeing it with the hashtag ChurchToo movement, and it is this, we are seeing a record number of pastors being accused of and being rightly accused of sexual assault. And not just pastors, we're seeing it in the Me Too movement, it's high-profile people across the board. Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby with his recent um, trial being uh, pronounced guilty and conviction. But the Church Too movement is, is, 
was born out of me too to say, look, this is not just happening in the in Hollywood and, and in the secular world. It's happening right here in our churches. Chances are you know someone who has suffered sexual assault in some way. But there's, and, and usually if it happens in the church, it's someone who had a position of authority who took advantage of their power in order to take advantage of someone else. <clears throat> and I recently watched a good friend of mine in ministry go down that path. That's one of the hardest things I've ever watched because I didn't know about it until after it happened. There's this belief that those who are working among you, those who are leading up here, me preaching, anyone preaching that stands up here, our conference president, there's this belief that we have it all together. There's this belief that Ken, as, as our elder, as, as one of our elders preaching and teaching, that he has it all together, and that's why he's up here. No, no, no. All of us are up here only by <laughs> God's grace alone. Amen. So when Paul says, look, respect each other and esteem each other highly in love, I wish, I wish this was included in this. Pray for your leaders. Pray for those who are working among you because we are just as susceptible to sin as you. We are all in this together. I am not perfect. Elder Louis is not perfect. Roger is perfect. I've just come to accept it. <laughs> He tells me it every week. He calls me and says, Pastor, this is your weekly reminder. I do everything right. <laughs> Esteem them very highly in love because of their work and be at peace among themselves. Verse 14, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Remember the word admonish, to warn. If someone is idle, in, in popular Adventist terminologies, we look at the book of Revelation, we would, we would identify someone like this as, as lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, neither passionate nor hate nor full of hatred for, the, for, for church or for God, but someone who is just idle, who is just coasting. We say admonish, warn them, say, look, if you continue to just coast through your faith, you're not going to grow. You're not going to encounter Jesus in the fullest and you're not going to become what Jesus has called you to be. And I'm warning you of this because I love you and I want to see you right there next to me worshiping Jesus for eternity. This is encourage the faint-hearted. To see someone who is hurting and to let them know they're not alone. To help the weak and to be patient with them all. One of the hardest things about a community, one of the hardest things about friendships, and one of the hardest things about being a guy is that sometimes we just want to get to the fixed part. When a problem is shown to us, when a problem is revealed, we just want to say, look, all right, here's how we fix it. Let's get it done and let's get it over with. I have a friend who, he just got married and he tells me, he's like, look, I'm the kind of guy that if you tell me a problem, we're not leaving the room until it's solved. But community doesn't always work like that. Addiction doesn't work like that. Addiction doesn't work on our schedule. 
Our life problems don't work on our schedule. Grief does not work on our schedule. And there are times where our problems in life will take days, weeks, months, years, decades for us to work through. And so when Paul says be patient with them all, it means, look, you're going to journey through all of this together. So stick together. And I can tell you, as I preach to you this morning about what we can do better as we treat each other better, I know there are ways in every single one of these that I have failed. I am not preaching this this morning as, as someone who's telling you what to do because I do it all right. Believe me, there are many times, some of you know specifics, where I have failed in each and every one of these. And I believe that that's why Paul says, be patient. Because so will each and every one of you fail somehow in each and every one of these. And there are many ways where we have already done so. And there may be ways that you are thinking now, when have I tried to get someone to the end of their problem instead of journeying through it with them? When have I encouraged the faint-hearted? When have I really sat down and helped the weak? When was the last time that I prayed for those who are in charge or those who are working? Verse 15, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. There's this idea that Jesus gives in the Gospels of nonviolence. He says, if someone slaps you, then you turn the other cheek and you offer them your other one. He says that for the personal Christian, nonviolence is the way to go. The only way that you can live a life of nonviolence is if you decide to. If you decide to ahead of time. So one of the things we tell teenagers when they're dating is we say, you need to set up boundaries or you need to decide what's too far and what's far enough. And you need to not cross these lines. And you need to decide that before you get into the relationship, not when the moments come. Because if you try to decide when the moments come, you're going you're gonna to fall into that trap every single time. It is our responsibility when something bad is going to happen that we know ahead of time how we have decided to react to those situations. It is a matter of being proactive. See, I can tell you easily, yeah, make sure you don't seek revenge. Don't repay anyone evil for evil, but seek to do good. You'll be like, yeah, no problem. And then I accidentally slight you. Because you haven't decided how you're going to respond in those situations. You're caught off guard. And you react from emotion instead of a place of rational thinking and a place of nonviolence. And he says, always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Always starts yesterday. Always starts a week ago. Always is always in every single situation, one of the, one of the most life-changing things I've ever heard was, was to, to seek to see the good in everyone. To assume always that when someone is talking with you, that they are trying their best and that they are saying something good. 
to not assume that what they are giving you or what they are offering you is something bad or offensive. In a culture where everyone seeks to be offended, let us seek to lift up and to do good and to receive in good faith. Verse 16, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. One of the things I do, many of you know this about me, is I listen to probably 10 to 12 hours worth of podcasts per week. I've become my dad. <laughs> Except he, he would listen to NPR, he would listen to the radio all the time. Now I listen to talk shows on the internet. I've just done the millennial version of what he did. And I was listening to one called The Faith Angle, where they look at issues in politics, and they try to figure out what's the faith angle here. What's the way that Christians should respond to this? And they had a guest on. Her name was Diana Butler Bass. She's written a book called Grounded that I fully intend to pick up as a result of this interview. And as I wanted to talk about this verse, I've actually held off on this sermon for a few weeks because I didn't feel like I had the right angle on it. And because of this interview, I believe that I finally have the angle I have been looking for. She talked about having gratitude when it comes to politics. And she talked about gratitude as it relates to you. And that gratitude is a choice you make. But then she identified a form of gratitude that every one of us knows, but I've never heard the term for. I googled it, I tried to find it wherever I could. I could not find this term. Maybe you've heard of it before, but for all intents and purposes, this woman has coined this term that I know of. She coined it transactional gratitude. Transactional gratitude is the gratitude that you and I were taught to show when we were young. Transactional gratitude is gratitude or thankfulness that is a part of a transaction. And I know I just used both words to, def to define the term. Here's what I mean. If I go to order something at Taco Bell and I pay them and I receive my food, I say thank you as a part of the transaction. In other words, when I show transactional gratitude, I'm showing gratitude as in, a res in response to goods and services done to me. It's the gratitude that all of us were taught when we were young. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with transactional gratitude. It's polite, and sure, it's expected. But transactional gratitude, while it's a part of good manners, is not the fullest extent of gratitude that we were, show, we were asked to have. See, transactional gratitude is when you come up to me after I preach and you say, thank you for that sermon. Transactional gratitude is when someone offers you something or gives you something and you say, thank you. But gratitude is so much more than just to be meant to be confined to a transaction. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. One of the ways that I believe that we can improve, every single Christian can improve, I'm not just talking about us now, is an indirect gratitude. What I mean by indirect is this. Some of you may have noticed, I, I tried to model this to some extent. Those of you that do end up cleaning up after potluck, 
You may have noticed that on occasion I, I come up to the counter and I say, thank you so much for what you're doing. The reason I say it's indirect is because you have not washed my plate specifically. You did not serve me food specifically, but you are doing a service that indirectly impacts me because it means I don't have to do that service. <laughs> but to show appreciation in moments where you are not the specifically intended receiver of that action, to express appreciation to someone because of something they've done or even just who they are, and there was nothing that spawned that behavior. There was no transaction that you noticed, and there was no specific response other than to say, I want them to know that I value them and they are important to me. To give thanks in all circumstances. You see, gratitude does not happen in a vacuum. You cannot be grateful without there being both a giver and a receiver. You cannot be grateful for something you did not receive, and you don't receive something from thin air. And if you do, you're thanking thin air. If you receive something from God, you say, praise God, thank you, God. If, you if I receive something from you, I say, thank you. No one is grateful in a vacuum. Gratitude must have community. Gratitude must have community, even if that community is two people. Even if it's just you and your husband, or you and your wife, or you and your kids. Gratitude always takes community. And guess what? We have a community. Amen. And there's absolutely no reason that gratitude should not be overflowing in this place. So Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All of this. If I could sum up everything we've read today, I would sum it up this way. Look for the good in one another and point it out. Look for the good in one another and point it out. Now here's what's going to happen. It's going to be easy today at Potluck. You can say, thank you. I'm going to hear like a million thank yous probably. Or you disagree, and I'm not going to hear thank you at all to each other. It is really easy for us to become cynical and to take those thank yous as something that was just ordered. Right? You're just doing that because you were just told to do that. And so we devalue someone else's gratitude because we believe it comes from a place of inauthenticity. But remember, look for the good in everyone. If someone shows you gratitude after you've heard this sermon, don't take it as they're doing it because they just they feel like they have to. Take it as they're doing it because they want to be better at doing it and they want you to know they value you. It is your choice how you receive things. And it is your choice how you give things. And the person that makes all the difference in gratitude is you. And I hope and I pray that we will look for the good in each other in every circumstance. I want to end with this illustration. I used to do improv all the time. Improv comedy. And there are two big rules for improv. 
They're the two most foundational rules in improv. They are these. One is called blocking, and the other is called yes and. Blocking is this. In improv, when you walk up, you know what game you're playing, you know what the scene, you, you know what you're supposed to be doing, but you have no idea what the story is. And so what happens is you walk up with another improv actor, and someone begins telling a story or setting a scene. And so if I'm up with another actor and he says, we were walking along on the beach, and that's how he starts the scene, and I look at him and I say, no, it was a pier. That's called blocking. I have taken what that person has said, and I have rejected it. I have blocked it and said, no, we're going to do my thing instead. Blocking is foundational on improv because it's the one thing you never want to do. You never want to reject what someone else has offered. Instead, the second foundational rule comes into play. Yes, and. Whenever someone suggests something to you, whenever someone sets a scene, your response should always be yes, and here's how we can improve. Here's how we can make it better. Here's what we can do. Here's what we can do together. To accept what they have given you and to grow together and to throw yourself into the mix and to make everything as great as it possibly can be. So when they say, we're walking along the beach, I say, and then I stepped on a jellyfish. I have said yes to their scene and I've added more to the story. I never stepped on a jellyfish and I'm very careful. May we seek to be a church that instead of when someone comes to us with a suggestion, instead of when someone comes to us and says thanks as a result of a sermon where I told you to give thanks, instead of being a church that blocks each other, that immediately sees the bad in an idea, let us become a church that always says yes and. It says I want to accept what you've given me. I want to put myself in, in, into this, and I want to help you make it as great as it possibly can be. And I want to end reading verse 23 and 24 this morning. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. We're not doing it alone. He who calls you is faithful. And he will surely do it.